0: Likewise, perish. And he told this parable: A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, "Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground?" And he answered him, "Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. That if I should bear fruit, that if it should bear fruit next year, well and good." But if not, you can cut it down.
1: The grass withers
0: and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come before you now, the prayer of our hearts is what the choir has sung. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Lord, speak to us. Help us to see Jesus. Lord, help us to leave this place not the same as we entered Help us to leave changed as we look by repentance to our Savior. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you were to come to my house right now, uh, really if you were to come to our house in the past week or so, uh, when you pulled in the driveway, you would see in our backyard a tree just lying out there that is it's down in the backyard. Now, it's important for me that you understand... That uh, that tree did not fall by chance. Uh, that it didn't fall when the storm came through on Tuesday. But that tree is there because it was cut by these two hands. Yes, by these two hands. I walked in the house and I said, Renee, I just chopped down a tree with an axe. She said, Okay, and she moved on to the next thing. I said, Wait, 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 wait. I don't think you understand. I chopped it down with an axe. She was still unimpressed. But you guys know exactly what I'm talking about right now. That is man work with a capital M-A-N. Man work. I have Paul Bunyan out there chopping down trees. It was amazing. But the point of this story is not to show off my obvious manliness, but it is to say to you that the tree itself is one that I had been watching Uh, for several years now. Uh, About three or four years ago in the winter the top came out of it and I just assumed that it would die and I was ready to chop it down then. Uh, But it turns out uh, when spring came uh, that it budded, that it put on flowers. It's, It's a cottonwood or a dogwood or one of those trees that has flowers on it. And so it put on flowers and then it put on new leaves and I thought well I'll leave it one more year. Well the next winter came same thing more of it fell off. It looked like it was dying. Turns out same thing. It's still living. So this has gone on all of this time. But, but this year, I walked past it recently, and I noticed about eye level on me, the middle of the tree was rotten. And now that makes me chopping it down with the axe, far less impressive. But, but, it was dead. And so I thought, you know what? It's time. It was a pitiful sight anyway. All the limbs had fallen off, so it was basically just a stick sticking straight up in the air. Uh, but it was obviously time, For the tree to come down. If the tree doesn't bear fruit, then what good is the tree? Now that gets us right to the heart of our passage today. uh, Where Jesus, really building off what he began in the verses that we considered last week. You remember there, uh, he declared the certain reality of his return. He declared the certain reality of what he would bring with him when he comes the judgment that is to come. And so in doing that, he challenged us all to be ready, to be ready for that return. Well, here he continues to build on that, and now he gives his hearers and he gives us uh, what we may call a test of our readiness. In other words, he's going to show us the, the attitudes and the evidence of readiness that should be present in our lives if we truly are looking to that that second coming, if we really are aware of the judgment that is to come. Now, in the one sense, in this way, this is a very practical passage to us, right? You you may have left last week saying, okay, I understand that I need to be ready, but how exactly do I get there? What exactly does that look like? Well, here, Jesus gives us that. He he gives us evidence of of what our lives should be. And so in that way, this is, this is very practical for us. It's very helpful to us. My friends, I also want you to notice that, that once again, this is a very daunting passage. This is a passage that should weigh very heavy on us as we consider it. Yes, Jesus is going to give us the, the evidence of readiness in our lives, but he's also, once again, as he did last week, going to show us the terrible consequences that are the reality if we fail to acknowledge the truths that he's given us if we fail to live in readiness for his second coming i understand that that that's not very uplifting to us in a way but friends it it is my prayer today that, that when we leave this place that each of us that you you will know Beyond a shadow of a doubt, where you stand. Because the reality is, is, is these two passages, in these two weeks, he's not pulling any punches here. He's not, he's not speaking in ways that, that are unclear. It's clear as it can be. And so my prayer is that you will know. You will know where you stand with Jesus today. Is it the fruit? or is it the axe? I appreciate that. Is it the fruit, or is it the axe? Well, let's look at it together. First thing in this passage I want you to see is, is terrible tragedy, terrible tragedy. You see it there in verses 1 through 5. Now, I don't have to tell you that, that if you turn your TVs on, or if you get on your devices to check the nightly news, uh, the majority of what you're going to see, the majority of what you're going to find there is not good news, right? Uh, we, we get frustrated with the news, we get frustrated with broadcasters because we say, well, all they're going to show us is the bad stuff. They're not going to talk about any of the good stuff. And we know to some degree, I know that that's true. Uh, but I would submit to you there's a reason that they do that. And at least part of the reason that they do it is because that's the things that seem to fascinate us the most, right? Think about the, the conversations you have at work the conversations you have with your family around the dinner table? What are the things that that we often talk about? Can you believe that that this happened, whatever this may be? Can you believe that happened? Can you believe that this happened to poor so-and-so, whoever that may be? Did you see what's happening out there in the world to those folks out there? Tragedy, it seems to, to suck us in. Partially because we can't believe these things could actually happen in our world, but also because it's these stories that leave us asking the hardest questions, right? They leave us asking the questions of of how. How did this happen? Why did this happen? What's the point of all of these things? Now, with that in mind... Knowing those truths as we think about tragedy, it's not surprising that we find here in chapter 13 the people of Jesus' day bringing those same events to him. Look at verse 13, chapter 1. I mean, verse thir- chapter 13 and verse 1. Sorry. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Now, this is the only place in Scripture, but also in history that we have an account of this particular story. And so we don't know any of the details other than what we have here. We know that, that the Galileans were going to take their sacrifices as they probably would have always done. Pilate shows up, he massacres them to the point where their blood is mingling with the blood of the sacrifice that they had just made. An abomination, right? This is an awful, terrible tragedy that has occurred part of their question is, is, is why has this happened? Maybe, maybe they're trying to do here what Jesus calls them to do in verse 56. Maybe, maybe they're trying to read the signs of the times in chapter 12 and in verse 56. Maybe they're trying to do that. But the point is, is, is why has this happened? They're trying to, to make heads and tails of it. But notice, notice that Jesus doesn't use this as an opportunity to speak about people out there, per se. But he uses it as an opportunity to speak to individuals. He he does it as an opportunity to say, hey, you better look at your own heart. Yes, why has this happened to them? That's not the question. The question is there in verse 2, and it says, and he answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans Because they suffered in this way. In other words, do you think they're just getting what they deserve? That's a very Jewish way of thinking. It's also a very modern way of thinking too. People just get what they deserve, right? Karma. They're just going to get exactly what they deserve. It's the same concept that he gives us there uh, in verse 4. He says, Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think they were worse offenders than all the others who lived In Jerusalem, again, do you think they're just getting what they deserve? Look, we we need to pause here. We need to consider this a minute. On one hand, we know that tragedy is often a result of sin, right? Our own personal sin. If I cheat on my taxes right now, which I have not gotten to Bradley yet, and that is a bad thing, but if I cheat on them, the tragedy that will ensue if I get caught... I'll lose my job, lose my family, go to jail, whatever it may be, that will be directly because of my sin, right? Directly because of the things that I'll have to suffer, the consequences of those sins. And so we know that sometimes that is the case. And the Bible doesn't hide from that. Think of David and his sin with Bathsheba. What happens to that child? He had to suffer the consequences of it, and he knows it too. The point that Jesus is making here is that's not always the case. Tragedy is not always because of our own personal sin. Think about Job. You know, his friends come to him and they, they imply these same things. You have done this and this and this. And so if you will repent, God will re- relinquish this. He, he, will, he will stop this. Job says, no, I have done none of those things. It was not a result of his sin. It's the same thing in John chapter 9. Remember the, the disciples, they see this man who is, is blind and they say, Lord, who has sinned? Is it his parents or is it him so that this man was born this way? And Jesus said, no one sinned, but this has been this way so that God might be glorified, right? And so again, the, the point here is that sometimes tragedy is simply because we live in a lost and fallen world. Sometimes it happens so that God might be further glorified and all of it, Jesus somehow is further glorified. And I think, as one commentator says, that that leads us to say at least part of the point that Jesus is getting to here is that we, as Christians or as people, we can't make moral judgments about the suffering of others. Certainly, we are called to call sin, sin, but but we cannot begin to, to speak to why these things are happening definitively. We don't know people's hearts, and we also don't know what God is doing. So we have to leave that between the person and the Lord. But the other and more important part of this that that Jesus is getting to is that if we're going to begin to speak about the sins of others, if we're going to begin to speak about sin in general, the first place we need to look is not out there somewhere, at some people out there. The first place that we must look is where? Here. It's in our own hearts. Jesus says we begin with ourselves. Look at verse two again. He says, uh, because they do you think the Galileans were worse sinners uh, than other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Verse three. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse five, no I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. In other words, no matter how you may view yourself this morning. No no matter how good you may think you are, the truth is, is that apart from Jesus Christ, you are a sinner. And I am too. Every single one of us, all of humanity, by worldly terms, you may not be that bad. Even by biblical terms, you may not have committed sins that are as egregious as others. But friends, the reality is, is that in word and in thought and in deed, even now, even this morning, you have fallen far short of God's glory. You have sinned, whether it is capital murder or whether it is a little white lie. And the question is, is what does that sin deserve? It's death, right? The Bible is clear. The wages of sin is death. Death in a physical sense. Adam and Eve, they sinned and so death entered the world. But here, Jesus has in mind something far greater, something far more permanent. This is not temporary death, but this is eternal, cosmic death. This is final judgment, complete judgment that Jesus has in mind here. He's saying, rather than looking at the events of the world and saying, who sinned? What's wrong with those people? We better look at the events of the world and say, where do I stand? Where is my heart? What sins am I committing that I am not addressing? We look at these things in order to look at ourselves. Now friends, I'm going to pause here. Me and uh, Patrick were talking about rabbit holes before I came out here. And this is one, and I know it is, but it's worth it. Renee and I have been talking about this week, and one of the things that that frustrates me most, and here I am doing exactly what I say not to do, but bear with me. What frustrates me the most about the church today, whether it's ours or the church, Big C Church, what frustrates me about Christians today is we are so content to get behind computers and to get behind screens and to get on social media and to begin to judge and condemn without any mercy, without any grace, with none of those things. And that's especially true in our reformed world. We want to get on there and we want to tell everybody where they are wrong. And friends, there may be need for that. People may need to see where they're wrong, but if we do it without love, what does Paul say? We're just a noisy symbol, right? We're just out there. Nobody's listening because we're just yelling. Jesus is saying to us, You better remember who you are first. Remember what you need. Compassion and mercy and grace. Remember what I need before I stand up here and say anything to y'all. We are all in the same boat. The fall is the great equalizer. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. If we have a reason to boast today, it is only in Christ. Only what He has done. If we have a reason to cast judgment, it's only because of Him. It's not in us. May that make us compassionate, merciful, gracious people, especially to sinners, which is everybody. We be kind and gracious, abounding in steadfast love, just as our Savior has been to us. people need it, we need it. And so we see terrible tragedy here. But secondly, I also want you to see complete acknowledgement. Complete acknowledgement. Now, I'm sure you noticed uh, there in verse 3 and in verse 5, I kind of skimmed over the most important part, right? Jesus says, yes, uh, you will die like these people unless what? Unless you repent. Now, again, obviously, this is useful to us in the practical sense of, all right, here we go. This is readiness. It's a life of repentance, The question, of course, is what is repentance? What is true? What does it look like in our lives? Well, I think we may have even seen this already in our study of Luke, but it's worth reviewing again. I think I've told you before that one of the most useful parts of the confession of faith is chapter 15, and it's the the section on repentance. I want to read to you uh, what it says here, if I can get to it. It says, by repentance, a sinner, out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and odiousness of his sins, as contrary to the holy nature and righteous law of God. Pause. Let's stop there for a second. The first thing that repentance is, if we're going to make a list, the, the confession tells us, the Bible tells us, is knowledge. It's knowledge, right? Not just knowledge of final judgment, which is what we've been getting for the past two weeks, we've been beating ourselves over the head with, but also, and maybe more importantly, knowledge of the true nature of sin, right? Knowledge of how horrendous it really is. How filthy it is, both in the presence of a holy and righteous God. Think about this. You know, if you have kids, there are those moments where you have to force them to, even though they don't want to, to rather just go the other way, you have to say, no, you are going to say, I'm sorry, whether that's to me or to a friend or somebody. But what's the result of that apology? Is it very sincere? Usually it looks something like, I'm sorry, and they just go about their merry way, right? Right? It's not a sincere apology. Now, why is that? Why is it not sincere? Well, for two reasons. One, they don't realize what they've done. They don't realize the nature of what they've done. They don't realize the consequences of what they've done. But secondly, they also don't realize how egregious it was. How bad it hurt you as a parent. How bad it hurt their friend. How bad it hurt whoever it may be. Well, Friends, we are those kids. When it comes to sin, that's our story. We sin and we sin and we sin. We mess around with it, never knowing how egregious it is. What an affront it is to our holy God. We mess around with it, never knowing how it grieves his heart for us to sin in this way. We're like, again, I'm sorry, kids, I'm picking on you today. But again, we're like kids with an anthill, especially boys. Have you ever noticed, and men, we're like this too, so we, I, it's not just kids. But if there's an anthill around, what are kids going to do? Boys, they're either going to stick their hand in it, or they're going to put a stick in it, or they're going to kick it. Something's going to happen. That is until they get the ants on them, right? Then they have to face the consequences. Then they realize, hey, this hurts. This is not a good thing for me to do. Friend, sin is that anthill. We mess around with it. We, we toy with it. C.S. Lewis talks about this, right? We, we mess around with all of these things in the world, never knowing that, that, that it's ants, that it's going to hurt, that it's going to do bad things in our lives. We don't know the weight of sin. We don't feel the need to repent. So friends, we need knowledge. Sin is an affront to God. And as John Owen says, unless we are killing it, it will be killing us. Knowledge. Secondly, repentance is also sorrow. It's knowledge, but then it's sorrow for that sin. Again, the confession says, "...and upon the apprehension of his mercy in Christ, to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sin..." as to turn from them all unto God, purpose, purposing and endeavoring to walk with Him in all the ways of His commandments. Now, notice, here, it, it connects it immediately to where? It connects it to the cross. Knowledge is expanded here, so that when we see, we can see what mercy cost. Friends, hear me now, because this is, this is important. Sin is so awful that in order to deal with it once and for all, what did God have to do? To send His only Son, Son whom He loved dearly from all of eternity. He had to send His Son to take our place. The pain, the suffering that Jesus experienced to whatever degree we can fathom that and friends it is not to a very high degree but whatever degree we can that was the pain and the suffering that I deserved that was the pain and the suffering that you deserved it was my sin he died for it's very specific now again that causes us two reactions first It should cause us, as we've seen, great sorrow. Our hearts should be broken to know that Jesus had to die in our place. The Son of God became man to die for me. It's my sins that put him there. I'm as guilty as Pilate. I'm as guilty as any Jew that was there in those days. Our sin that hung him on the cross, may that break our hearts. Now, with that broken heart, not only do we have knowledge and sorrow, but thirdly, it leads us to confession. It leads us to confession. And I don't mean this in the way that we so often hear it with our Roman Catholic brethren. This is not going to a priest or to me and confessing your sins. Though so that may be necessary. That may be something that you need to do. But here, here, it is private confession of his sins to God, praying for the pardon thereof, upon which... And the forsaking of them, he will find mercy. I remember as a kid, um, if I did bad things, I had a tender conscience, much like uh, my kids do, and I'm thankful for this. Uh, But if I did something that I wasn't supposed to do, I could find no rest until I had gone and confessed it to my mother, mainly my mother, (laughs) because I knew she would... Be kind and grace. Not that my father wasn't, but you know, you pick you pick your poison here. Uh, and so I would go to my mom and I would confess the the my my error to her, and, and thankfully there was mercy with her. Uh, but but here, friends, it's the same thing with our father. We we see our sin, we feel great sorrow for it. We run to Him. We fall down before Him. We confess it all. We, we unload it all. And look, I understand as I'm saying that how intimidating that is. I've told you that we're coming before a holy and righteous God. One who is an all-consuming fire. And yet the call is to come and to confess your sins. And when we do that, what did the confession say? What do we find? We find mercy. Think of 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins then He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. So repentance, it's knowledge, it's sorrow, it's confession. But remember I said there was a second element to that knowledge of sin, to, to the sorrow that we feel. The, the flip side of that is when we see what it costs. Yes, our hearts are broken, but there's also great joy. Joy to know that He loved us so much that He came and He died for us. That He didn't do it by compulsion. He didn't do it fighting it all the way, but He did it willingly for the joy set before Him. He went to the cross for you and I. For that's a reason to rejoice. That's a reason to shout and to sing. But fourthly, it's also a reason to break away from sin. It's a reason to turn to Him and follow Him wherever He will go. And this is the heart of repentance. What is repentance? Repentance. It's turning from sin, asking for forgiveness, but we can't leave it there because we'll just keep going the way we're going. It's asking for forgiveness and turning to Jesus and walking with Him everywhere we go, following our Savior. If we look to the cross, if we see what He's done there, friends, why would we not follow Him? Why would we not walk with Him he has loved us with so great a love. How can we not? How can we not turn away from these things that are hurting us, and turn to the only One who can save us? The Christian life is one of faith and repentance. Being ready means faith and repentance. I want to read to you from one more place, then I'll be done reading. Okay, J.C. Ryle and his commentary. Commentary. He says, have we ourselves repented? We live in a Christian land. We belong to a Christian church. We have Christian ordinances and means of grace. We have heard of repentance with the hearing of the ear, and that hundreds of times. But have we ever repented? Do we really know our sinfulness? Do our sins cause us any sorrow? Have we cried to God about our sins and sought forgiveness at the throne of grace? Have we ceased to do evil and broken off from our bad habits? Do we cordially and heartily hate everything that is evil? These are serious questions. They deserve serious consideration. The subject before us is no light matter, nothing less than life. Eternal life is at stake. If we die impotent and without a new heart, we had better never have been born. If we never yet repented, let us begin without delay. See complete acknowledgement. Friends, have you repented? Have you confessed your sins to God? Have you fallen before Him with a broken heart and laid it all on the line? There's mercy, there's grace with Him. So we see a terrible tragedy. We see complete acknowledgement. And then, thirdly, and finally, and quickly, we see necessary fruit. Necessary fruit. Now to reinforce all that he has said and all that he has shown us up until this point, he tells this parable in verses 6 through 9. And let me read it to you one more time just to refresh your mind. It says, and he told this parable, A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, then you can cut it down. Now, I think this is clear enough. I think we're safe to, to cut right to the chase here. What Christ is saying is that true repentance, true faith, it will bear fruit in our lives. It will demonstrate itself as we turn and walk with our Savior. Now obviously we need to be careful here. Because fruit does not save us any more than repentance saves us. They are the result of what Christ has done for us. Being reminded of us of that with repentance very well. It is the result of what Christ is working in our hearts. The Holy Spirit in us. But it is necessary. This is what James is saying in James chapter 2. You claim to have faith without works? Well, faith, if you, if it's, if you don't have any works, then it's dead. We start with faith to be sure God's work. But friends, fruit is necessary. Think of Galatians chapter 5, the fruits of the Spirit, joy and kindness and patience and all those things. If He's working in us, and that's the reality of our salvation, then we can be sure that that we will not be the same as we were before. This fruit is necessary. But at the same time, sin is still with us, right? And so this process of sanctification, you know as well as I do, it is slow and it is frustrating and it seems that we're making very little progress. We go back, we go forward, then we go farther back. It's, it's very difficult and it's frustrating. But again, who saves us? Not our fruit. Who saves us is Jesus. We we move forward constantly looking to who? Looking to Him who has loved us so well. Friends, we do need to recognize here the other side of this. Yes, Christ is faithful to, to complete that good work that He started in us. He's faithful to bring the fruit forth. But notice, if He finds us with no fruit... What's the result? owner says here, cut it down. Now don't miss the fact that that this God is patient, that he is kind, that he is merciful, he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not give us what our sins deserve, but he is patient, Peter says on the top of your bulletin. He's patient. But friends, even that patience will not last. What we have seen over the past two weeks is there is a day coming where that patience will end. And so I ask, are you ready? Have you repented? Have you looked to Jesus? Are you trusting in Him? Is there fruit in your life? Be honest here. Look, I know it's time to go but, but as we conclude, if you'll allow me, I want to say to you this morning uh, that the past two weeks, the, the passages that we've been in, really all of Luke chapter 12, but it's weighed heavy on my heart. You know, we've said that, that here Jesus is being clear, and that's, that's a joy. It's a good thing because we don't have anything to question. We don't have to wonder what he means. We don't have to go find somebody to ask. It's clear. So on the one hand, that's a good thing. Friends, the the, the flip side of that is that because He is so clear, as we said last week, we have no excuse. None. Even if I have not done a good job explaining this, even if I have not been clear, you have heard God's Word read. It has been read in your presence. And He is clear. You cannot leave out of those doors and say, I didn't know. You cannot face Him one day and say, I I didn't understand. I never heard. You've heard. It's right here. He has said it to you plainly. And this is what He said. Unless you by faith will repent and look to Him and Him only, a day is coming where He will in that last judgment, chop you down. That's what he says. Friends, again, he is so patient. He is so kind, but he cannot and he will not leave sin unpunished. And so, today, I urge you, I urge you, do not delay. Repent. Believe in him begin to bear fruit for all of eternity. Look to His grace and mercy. You remember in Isaiah chapter 1 and in verse 18, He says, come, let's counsel together. Your sins that are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Then over in chapter 43, He says, I, God, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. First John, again, if you confess your sins, and He is faithful faithful, and just to forgive you of your sins. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. And friends, if you are resting in that everlasting life, then this is what he says to you in Galatians chapter oh uh, Galatians, not Second Galatians, Corinthians chapter three and in verse eighteen. It says, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Friends, again, will you believe? Will you repent? Will you look to Jesus? He's he's the only option. He's the only one who can save you you rest in Him today? Thanks be to God who has loved us, who has redeemed us in Christ, who forgives us of our sins even though we do not deserve it, and who is transforming us after the image of His Son. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider these words, Lord, they are of eternal importance. We have... A million things on our minds that we're going to do after church today, we're going to do this week, facing challenges, facing all sorts of things. But in light of what we've just said, none of that matters. The only thing in this moment, the only thing that really matters in this life is what have we done with Jesus? Have we repented? Have we looked to Him by faith? Lord, you know our hearts. And you know the truth of what you find there. So I pray that that now, even now, you would convict us. That that you would not let us have any rest until we are resting in our Savior. Lord, for those of us who have truly repented once, Lord, may it not just be a one-time event. It be something that, that we run and we do over and over and over again. Confessing our sins before you. Finding mercy in your sight. Finding grace and love what you promised to give to us. Lord, how we thank you for Jesus. How we thank you for for his sacrifice. Lord, our sin, it is egregious. It is so horrible. We see it. But how he has loved us. A love that, that outweighs all of our sin. So we bow in your presence. And we worship and we adore you today. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.